Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Network. I'm your host, Peter Panacey, Associate Editor of NinerNoise.com. And boy, what can I say? Uh, Quite the heartbreaker on Sunday night football. The 49ers losing their first game of 2021 in gut-wrenching fashion to the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football. 30-28, your final score. And gosh, a lot to unwrap from this game, really, in a lot of different circumstances and and outcomes and, and what could have been scenarios. And perhaps that's the most frustrating point of all of it, is the fact this was a game that, despite the Niners falling behind early, trailing at 1.17 to nothing, there were opportunities to win this game. And there were certain points that you look back upon, and, and not just late in the fourth quarter, but also earlier, where you think, gosh, if that one play had gone different, if one more thing had changed right there, we might be talking about a 3-0 and Niners team right now, and the outcome would be a lot different in the general perspective of really everything that's gone on with San Francisco this season. Of course, a lot of people were wondering after the first two weeks whether or not San Francisco was a legitimate contender. Now, in terms of roster talent, I'm sure that everyone would agree that, yes, the 49ers should be in the thick of things, but I really don't think anyone was overly impressed, at least from a team-wide perspective, on the 49ers' first two wins of the season. Certainly week one against Detroit, where the defense was questionable, and then in week two in Philadelphia, where the defense bounced back, but then the 49ers' offense struggled to get things going for the better part of three quarters. So it's pretty easy to understand why Sunday night's game against the Packers, against Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, was going to be highlighted as a true litmus test for what the Niners might be capable of doing this season. And it sure felt that much of the game, 
the entire momentum was in favor of Green Bay and not San Francisco. I certainly felt that way watching the game and then going back and watching it over. And even though the Niners managed to scratch and claw their way back, overcoming that 17 to nothing deficit and eventually taking the lead late in the fourth quarter on that touchdown by fullback Kyle Juszczyk, it still felt that Green Bay was dominating the game. And maybe that's kind of the thing you need to point out. The fact that the Niners only trailed for that brief moment when Juszczyk scored there. And so I've had a tough time kind of putting my, my finger around everything, looking at what this 49ers team is through three weeks. Now, granted, 2-1 and one is nothing to complain about. There are a bunch of teams around the league that would happily trade places with the Niners right now. You're talking about un, you know, perfectly defeated teams without a win yet, one-win teams, what have you. Uh, but still... I'm looking at San Francisco thinking that what I've seen so far this season has been kind of a disjointed effort. And it's something I wrote about uh, over at NinerNoise.com early on Tuesday morning, kind of just highlighting that feeling, right? That you can look at this one of two ways. Either the team's kind of just disjointed and and not firing on all cylinders. The offense and the defense aren't playing complementary football as well as they should be. You still haven't seen the best from the 49ers defense. You still haven't seen the best from the 49ers offense. Players like George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk haven't necessarily made massive impacts yet. Uh, And so the 49ers have still found a way to go 2-1, despite the fact that it doesn't seem to be firing on all cylinders right now. Potentially that's good. But at the same time, you're also looking at a number of the problems that have risen to the surface, some glaring problems, really. And you can't help but wonder if this is going to be a trend over the rest of the season. And once you get beyond week four, that quarter of the way through the regular season, you're probably going to be able to draw some pretty sizable conclusions about the trends you've seen so far from San Francisco. And really, this was the stretch that's going to determine what kind of 49ers squad you have in 2021. Again, the Lions, the Eagles, not exactly your toughest competition. Green Bay, I know they got off to a tough start in Week 1, but bounced back nicely in Week 2 and then beat the 49ers in Week 3. They're expected to be a contender. The Seattle Seahawks in Week 4, yeah, they're expected to be a contender too, even though they've gotten off to a tough start Uh, at one and two and and currently find themselves in the bottom of the NFC West. And again, I want to highlight the fact that it's early. It's still very early in the season and a lot of things change. I mean, heck, who would have thought the Kansas City Chiefs would be one and two after three weeks? I mean, that's about as wild uh, an outcome as you possibly could have conceived. It's, it's, It's insane to think that anyone would have predicted that, but here we are. So I don't necessarily want to go through the entire game. Uh, Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you watched the game. You saw what happened. You saw the concerns. You saw the the bounce back. You probably have some question marks about Kyle Shanahan's clock management late in the fourth quarter. So instead of of, of kind of recapping everything, just kind of want to touch on some some things that, that made me wonder and question what if. And I'll start off with that Kyle Juszczyk touchdown with what, 43 seconds left in regulation that gave the 49ers that one-point lead, making it 28-27. to 27. Now, certainly there was a lot of reaction going on around the interweb and in comment sections, Twitter, and, and even some articles written out there 
faulting either Kyle Juszczyk or Kyle Shanahan for, you know, not instructing Juszczyk, hey, you get the ball, you go down at the one-yard line, and we need to chew up some clock. Now, I can understand that thinking, for sure. Obviously, you don't want to leave any time for Aaron Rodgers on the other side, even though Green Bay didn't have any timeouts left. But in all of probably but 1% of all situations, if you've got a ball and you have a chance to score, you do it, right? I mean... Let's let's play a little bit of a hypothetical scenario here. And this is why I, I really don't have a problem with Kyle Juszczyk scoring there with 43 seconds left. Uh, for starters, let's say that he does go down at the one-yard line. Intentionally goes down. 49ers have the ball first and goal at the Packers' one with, I don't know, what, 30 seconds remaining. Let's just say that's a 14 or a 13-second runoff right there. What if the 49ers don't score? They try to, to get in the end zone four times because they would have gone for it on, on, on fourth down, and they're stuffed. Or if there's some fumble or some sort of miscue that gives the Packers the ball back. Can you imagine what the conversation would be like this week? Oh, hey, Kyle Juszczyk went down. Kyle Shanahan told Juszczyk to go down at the one-yard line. What an absolute disaster from San Francisco's vantage point. He had an open path into the end zone. You're not going to do that. And, and I don't care what someone might say out there. Oh, hey, that was a mistake. Yeah, oh, sure. This is exactly why the 49ers lost. They, they gave Aaron Rodgers too much time. I'm not going to criticize Juszczyk for that. And if Kyle Shanahan said on the play, hey, look, Juszczyk, if you get into the end zone, get in the end zone. If that was part of the play call, I, I don't think it would have been, but you can't fault that. You really can't. You can't in that situation. Now, if I'm going to be critical about anything, perhaps the 49ers could have ran a run play there instead, maybe chew up about, I don't know, 10, 15 more seconds of clock, and then had about 30 seconds to call that play for, for use check to, to maybe get in the end zone. Maybe that would have been the better call. And I know some people might point out, well, why didn't they let the clock run down further? There was 12 seconds on the play clock when the ball was snapped and thrown to use check. Uh, George Kittle went out of bounds on the previous play, so the clock was stopped. <laughs> you might want to look up your playlist next time you, you make that, that claim. But anyway, let's establish something pretty clear here. That situation, when the 49ers take the lead with 43 seconds left and the opposing team has zero timeouts left, that's going to work against probably 90% of the league's quarterbacks who are going to take the field thereafter. But guys like Aaron Rodgers, hey, you know what? They're pretty good. <laughs> and and sometimes, as, as tough as it might be for, for fans to do this, you just got to tip your cap. Aaron Rodgers made some great throws. The 49ers defense wasn't necessarily in position to make plays. We'll get on that in a little bit. But, hey... Aaron Rodgers is the first ballot Hall of Famer for a reason. He'll go down as a top 10, top 15 quarterback of all time when his career is done. And that's essentially what you wind up having to deal with when you're going up against a Hall of Famer. And so if you want to cite that as the reason the 49ers lost, you're going to have a tough sell because there are so many other points in the game that truly impacted the outcome. And I've always believed this, that you don't necessarily lose the game on one single play or, or one series late in the game. It's the things that led up to that context. And we're going to get into that just here in a little bit. But before we do, just want to bring you a quick message from our sponsor here on the Fansided Podcast Network. 
What is shaking 49ers faithful? And speaking of shaking, we all know how things shake out down there, and our friends over at Manscaped are here to help you out. That's right, the latest and greatest in men's grooming technology brings you the Lawnmower 4.0, the next generation of skin safe electric trimming technology for all your below the belt needs. But Manscaped doesn't just want to make that the product that you want to tell you about. No, nope, absolutely not. As part of this package, Manscaped is partnered with Fansided to give you so much more. So if you head over to manscaped.com and type in the promo code FANSIDED20, not only will you get the Lawnmower 4.0, but you'll also get the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. And let me tell you, ear and nose hair, it doesn't get any shorter as you get older. You need this. On top of that, you get the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, a travel bag, and then also a pair of Manscaped boxers. I don't know about you, but hey, I'm always up for a free pair of boxers when I get one. So what are you waiting for? Head over to manscaped.com today, enter the promo code FANSIDED20 to lock in your own lawnmower 4.0 plus the Weed Whacker, Crop Preserver, travel bag, and boxers for all of your men's grooming needs. Manscaped.com. Fansided20 is the promo code you need to know. Make life better for yourself and those around you today. All right, so welcome back. Trying to touch on a few things about this week three loss and some of the things that we noticed, of course, during the game. And again, it, it's it's easy to say the 49ers mismanaged Kyle Juszczyk's touchdown against most other quarterbacks in the NFL. It, that would have been a no-brainer game-winning touchdown right there. Aaron Rodgers is a different story. But the other thing that really stood out to me, and I think it should have stood out to pretty much all of you too, was just how much a difference maker Packers wide receiver Devontae Adams was. He had 12 receptions, 132 yards, a touchdown, averaged 11 yards per carry. And yeah, there were other receivers who made big differences too, notably uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling who had 59 yards and, and on three receptions. But here is the one problem that I noticed here, and I want to see if you did too. And if you did, feel free to drop a comment in the podcast uh, comment section or, or head over to Niner Noise. Interact with us on Twitter, at SF Niner Noise. What did you see here when you saw Devontae Adams getting open regularly and frequently being matched up one-on-one -on -one by a questionable crop of 49ers cornerbacks? Now, one of the things I look back upon in this game and in and, and trying to rewatch it over was just how frequently defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans was putting out cover one and, and occasionally cover three zone uh, defenses. And the cover one scheme, especially if you're using that press man, is going to leave one cornerback regardless in one-on-one -on -one situations. And all too often, you saw someone like... Dio Lenore get matched up one-on-one -on -one singularly against Devontae Adams. And even though Lenore is impressed this year, that's a matchup he's going to lose more often than not, just because Devontae Adams is, is, is pretty good at football, last we checked. And so I can't help but wonder why there weren't more cover-two alignments, where you had two safeties back deep, one shading that side, the other uh, that side of the field where, where Adams was, providing that over-the-top help. Why not another was, was covering the other portion of the field? And heck, why not drop Fred Warner back into coverage a little bit more into to basically what you would call a Tampa 2 coverage where the, the middle linebacker drops back? It was one of those things that I saw and really questioned why the 49ers were allowing Devontae Adams to get out there in single coverage so often. Now, granted, 
I think a lot of that was based upon the idea the 49ers pass rush would get home on Aaron Rodgers a lot. They didn't. And uh, kind of a surprise because the Packers were down to their third string left tackle. And generally speaking, pass protection hasn't been great for Green Bay this season. And, and I know I certainly thought the 49ers defensive line would feast in this game. So hats off to the Packers offensive line. This unit actually performed a lot better than I think most of us predicted. And that was probably another key reason why you saw Devontae Adams get open. But the lack of coverage help... Uh, especially on, on Adams' big gains, was certainly troubling. And the 49ers now, they just don't have that caliber of cornerback to match up with a top-flight receiver like Devontae Adams. Now, coming forward in these upcoming weeks against receivers like the Seahawks, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, or you fast-forward two weeks from now to the Arizona Cardinals where you're dealing with Christian Kurt, DeAndre Hopkins... That's worrisome, very worrisome, and that could be extremely problematic when both of those two teams' quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, are elusive and can buy more time in the pocket. Now, Aaron Rodgers wasn't scrambling all over the place, but he made his quick throws known, and he can make those tight window throws. I don't think anybody's discounting that. But why no double coverage on Devontae Adams is going to be something that, that eludes me a little bit, and it's going to be one of those questions that defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans is going to have to answer. First-year Blues, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fair to say that uh, he's learning on the job, and, and especially late in the fourth quarter, there really wasn't anything that he could do or scheme up or call that was working. And again, you have to tip your cap to Rodgers, you have to tip your cap to Adams, but D'Amico Ryans has to deal with a fair share of criticism for not just what happened in the fourth quarter, but also what happened throughout the course of the game as well. So those are factors you can look at in the game and, and certainly be concerned with, and it's fair to do so. But I did mention earlier that there were certain moments where you just can't help but think, man, if that had gone one way or if that had you know, gone the other, whatever, maybe the game has a different outcome. I know Kyle Shanahan going or not electing not to go forward on fourth and one from the 49-yard line was, was questioned, and, and even Shanahan made comments on it saying that he regretted that decision, especially when the 49ers were seeking a momentum shift. But I'm going to highlight three plays where it certainly looked as if the 49ers were just gifting uh, the Packers extra opportunities. And... If you go back and you look at the stats, or you'll watch the game, whatever, you'll see the 49ers penalized just four times, but for 86 yards. Now again, each team could look at the officiating and say, hey, that was a bad call, we got screwed, whatever you want to say. And I don't necessarily want to pick on the officiating because that's low-hanging fruit, but rather point out the magnitude of some of those plays. Now, one of those penalties, one of the four the 49ers had, was on a delay of game on that fourth and one punt. Five-yard penalty, and you're at midfield, so that's negligible. I'm not worried about that. The other three penalties were for defensive pass interference. One on uh, Emmanuel Mosley, one on Dio Lenore, and a very, very uncharacteristic one 
against Fred Warner, which really stood out because you watch that play and Fred Warner looks like an inexperienced rookie in coverage, not getting his head around. And usually we expect Warner to be lights out in coverage, but even the best ones will make mistakes and, and I won't hold that against him. But you can't deny the impact that those had in the game. Specifically why? Because all three of those defensive pass interference calls came on third down. The Packers likely would have had to punt had those passes gone. Now you could say, well, all right, no DPI, then maybe those are completions. At least two of those, especially on the one to uh, where Warner was flagged, the balls were pretty much uncatchable. And that's maybe where you can highlight the officiating and say, hey, look, the ball's got to be catchable for it to be ruled pass interference. But I think anyone who's watched this sport for enough time can tell you that it has to be widely un- uncatchable. Like, I mean, like 20 yards down the field, <laughs> thrown too far, like a pretty wide margin. And if, if there's even any remote, almost superhuman possibility a receiving target could have caught it, that, that flag's going to get thrown. And it did. So the significant point about this, and I know I've mentioned that three DPI calls against the 49ers on third downs, two of them resulted in touchdowns for the Packers. Take away one of those, just one. Maybe Fred Warner turns his head around and, and, and realizes the ball is way overthrown, lays off Robert Tunyon, the Packers tight end, and the ball sails over Tunyon's head, and guess what? It's fourth down, Packers punt. Well, maybe that ends the touchdown drive right there. Maybe we're having an entirely different discussion when we head into work on Monday and, and, and try to, to, to converse with our fellow Niner f- friends and family, like, what happened? So that was frustrating. And, and, and again, it just goes to show you that there are certain moments throughout the game that really highlight how one or two plays can make the difference. And... I want to bring things back around a little bit to Kyle Shanahan and, and, and some of the, the, the game management that I've seen from him, not just from Sunday, but over the course of the year. And, and you can talk about clock management. You can talk about certain situational play calling. And obviously the DPI calls against Warner, Mosley, Lenore, it, it, it's, it's hard to blame Shanahan for that. He's not the defensive coordinator. you got to look at D'Amico Ryans in a way and then also hold the players accountable because, oh yeah, last time I checked, they're the ones who are playing. But I still can't get the sense that Kyle Shanahan is doing the utmost to put his team in the best position to win week in and week out. And it's hard to really just kind of state this because this isn't just, just, it feels different than, than 2019. And obviously it feels different from 2020 with the exception of the injuries, which are starting to pile up. But I want to start seeing more of the creativity that made this 49ers team click. I want to see more of the ball distribution that made this offense potentially explosive. And we haven't seen that yet. Yes, Brandon Ayuk was more involved. Yes, George Kittle was more involved. Ayuk had his first touchdown of the season. That was great to see. But you've seen in two games now where the 49ers offense has struggled to get things going early. Week two against the Eagles, and now week three against the Packers. And going back to week two against the Eagles, That marked the first time in Kyle Shanahan's head coaching tenure that his offense started with three consecutive three and outs. Pretty crazy to think about when you consider just how innovative Kyle Shanahan's offense is. 
And one of the misnomers that I want to just you know, point out right there is the fact, oh, hey, you can take a running back, any running back, and just plug it into the system, that running back will succeed. Well, not really. Not really. If you look back at Shanahan's history with running backs in San Francisco, the only two, and I say two because I could throw in a third, but the only two who've really had continued success, you're talking Raheem Mostert and Matt Breida. Breida, of course, no longer with the team. He's with the Bills. Hey, 49ers injury attrition. Maybe the 49ers should trade for him. Probably wouldn't cost anything more than a seventh-round pick. Anyway, just saying. Um, and, of course, Raheem Mostert's out for the year with a knee injury. Could have mentioned Jeff Wilson, too, because he's been awfully productive when given the chance, but Wilson's shelved right now. You think of some of the other running backs who have you know, been high-profile guys. You just haven't found that kind of success. Jarek McKinnon, of course, he was out for two years with an injury, but even when he was given the opportunity, not much of a factor. Tevin Coleman, a high-profile free agent signing in 2019, had a couple of splash games, yes, but for the most part, not anything overly crazy. And then you get into 2021, and we're all looking at Trey Sermon as the guy, a potential bell cow running back, right? Well, it was Elijah Mitchell who ended up beating him out going into the regular season. Of course, Mitchell shelved with a shoulder injury, hopefully back soon. But Trey Sermon, the third-round rookie, now only getting plugged in because of injury attrition. And that's a little odd to me. And look, it's still early for players like Trey Sermon. And yes, it's still early for players like Brandon Ayuk. I'm not going to assume that he's in the doghouse. But the one thing that I would hope Kyle Shanahan would do is to let his playmakers go make plays in key situations. Now, that's kind of a cliche statement, but I want to see these names more involved. I want to see names like George Kittle have a 100-yard a game, making him the focal point of the offense. I want to see Trey Sermon in a featured role. The 49ers spent a high-profile draft pick on him. A round three picks, nothing to, to scoff at. I want to see Brandon Ayuk more involved on a regular basis. Because if you get those threats going then yeah, it's going to open up things more for your Debo Samuels. It's going to make life easier for Jimmy Garoppolo. And eventually down the road, it's going to make things easier on Trey Lance too when he eventually is given the, 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 the shot at starting. So again, I, I don't know necessarily what to make out of, of Kyle Shanahan's uh, coaching. A, grand, a lot of the offense managed to get back on track when it needed to, both in week two and week three. So I can't fault Shanahan there, and, and, and I don't want to mislead anybody. I like Kyle Shanahan. I mean, if you're criticizing Kyle Shanahan and saying, ah, he's terrible, he needs to go, well, let me just throw out two names that will remind you why, hey, pump your brakes a little bit. <laughs> just go back to Jim Tom Sula and Chip Kelly. Things could be way worse, all right? Things could be way worse. But as a head coach, you got to bear some criticism, just like a lot of these these players on the roster, too, who are underperforming or just not delivering the way that they're expected or being paid to deliver. And so that's fair to criticize. And if you've read my stuff over at NinerNoise.com over the years, what have you, you know that I try to take a level-headed approach with everything. I don't get too excited when the 49ers win. I'm like, okay, that's great, but we're moving forward. And I don't get too down when they lose. I'm actually not overly down about this Sunday night football loss. Maybe it's an eye-opener. Hey, 49ers, you got some things to fix. Better start now and figure those things out when the schedule starts to get tougher. And it's getting tougher. But at least in this sense, I just get that feeling that things are still disjointed. And Shanahan is the head coach. Well, guess what? 
it's on his watch. And so going into this key stretch of games, especially the next two weeks against two division rivals, games that could determine a lot in how the NFC West shapes up by the end of the year, that's going to be the time to really make that impact felt. And whether that's getting Brandon Ayuk involved more, George Kittle involved more, figuring out how to get more creative in the run game or more explosive early on so the 49ers aren't having to play catch-up or rely solely on their defense like they did in Week 2. Those are things that I'm going to want to see happening, and I'm sure a lot of you are as well. So that kind of begs the question here, and there's, there's again, I, I really do have trouble putting my, my thumbprint on everything and wondering just what to make of all of this after three weeks. And again, it's early. I want to stress that. But you've seen some real weaknesses from the 49ers over the course of these three weeks. And of course, the two I'm going to talk about the most are running back, and cornerback. Roster weaknesses. And granted, injuries have played a big role. And why? I Hey, I'm at a loss for words, probably just as all of you. I mean, yes, relying on injury-prone players like Raheem Mostert and Jason Verrett. Hindsight, probably a big mistake. And now, of course, after week two, we know that Josh Norman suffered a chest injury. He's hopefully going to return in time for week four after a bit of a scare there. Uh, Quan Williams with a calf injury. He's going to be out for a few weeks. The 49ers going out, and per reports from Adam Kaplan of, uh, of SiriusXM, saying they're going to be signing Buster Screen, a longtime veteran, um, to fill in for Quan Williams at nickel. But cornerback's a weakness. Running back's a weakness. And I think that you can look at both and say, yeah, this is a problematic in a number of different ways. Of course, you can talk about the running game and wonder, well, hey, this is supposed to be Kyle Shanahan's bread and butter. Well, let me tell you something. 49ers right now are averaging 3.6 yards per rush attempt. That's 25th in the league. Not good, especially when you consider a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe to a lesser extent Trey Lance. Really, honestly, the whole 49ers offense relies so heavily on play action, bootlegs, uh, a, a very innovative rushing attack that opens up the passing attack. The 49ers are only averaging 3.6 yards per carry. That's going to hurt. And it's going to take away a lot of things Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And I could nitpick about the 49ers passing offense, but hey, let's be honest here. The 49ers are allowing 6.2 yards per pass attempt. That's 13th. And granted, that's heavily influenced by the 49ers having to face off against Jalen Hurts in Week 2. So not reading too much into that, but maybe it's not as bad yet still. I don't think anybody with a realistic mindset would say the cornerback situation is, is just fine, especially when the Niners are literally going out and trying to sign guys off the street to make up for the injury deficiencies. Says a lot about the depth they brought into, uh, into the regular season. Says a lot about rookie Ambry Thomas, the third-round pick who's been inactive the last two weeks. Says a lot about the health of the position overall. And also the 49ers' plans, not just in this year's draft, but last year too. Why didn't you start stockpiling for this position earlier? So anyway, those are pretty key weaknesses the 49ers have, and I don't think anybody's going to question that. But I think it's fair to start wondering, after what we've seen these first three weeks, whether or not the 49ers are truly a Super Bowl team. And a lot of the analysis that you'll see from the national media types, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the 20,000 foot view, they're going to say, oh, yeah, 49ers are loaded. They've got a great roster. George Kittle, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, Trent Williams, 
Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has proven that he can win if he can stay healthy, as long as he got a good supporting cast around him. You know, they point out the star name players, which is fine. National media people do that. The fans love to read about it. We get it. But I like to think that us here on the ground, the 49er fans, who passionately follow this team day in, day out. Yeah, we might argue with each other on Twitter and, and, and take sides when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, but I like to think that we're pretty well immersed in the overall health of the team. I think it's safe to say the 49ers aren't a Super Bowl team this year. And if that makes you feel a little bit more depressed, hey, you know what? Sorry. Again, I, I try to take an even keel approach and call it how it is. I do think this is a playoff team. But right now I'm seeing 10 wins, maybe 11, a wild card team, and maybe a first round exit from the postseason. Booted in the wild card, maybe, maybe if the 49ers pull off some, some crazy game in round one of the playoffs, they get to the divisional round. But right now you're going to have a tough, tough time convincing me that 49ers secondary, especially, can hold up to the likes of the Los Angeles Rams who are looking like they're absolutely on fire right now, beating the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. Um, last week, you saw what the Packers did to the 49ers, and yeah, that was a game the 49ers could have won, but they didn't. And so I'm sitting here thinking, all right, are you going to tell me the 49ers are going to be able to upend teams like the Rams, like the, the Bucks, like the Packers even? And I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And again, it's still early, right? There's so much that's going to happen between now and the end of the regular season. There's player injuries to account for. Teams go through cold spells. I mean, heck, you remember the Buccaneers a year ago. They were scuffling at the beginning of the year. It, it took them, you know, the stretch run towards the playoffs to get hot, and they rode that momentum all the way in. But understanding this team, I think we just have to be realistic to a point and say, look, the 49ers are, are probably a playoff team. They're vastly superior to any team in the NFC East. The NFC North, aside from the Packers, is, is garbage. And, uh, you know, the NFC South, you know, maybe the Saints are interesting, and, and, and the Panthers are certainly impressed a bit too, and, of course, the Bucks are the Bucks. But, you know, the Niners are in a gauntlet of a division. And really, honestly speaking, it's just hard to see the 49ers making it back to the Super Bowl this year with some of these woes. Injury woes at running back, injury woes at cornerback, two positions that the Niners are scrambling to fill, and so far to date, the results haven't been overly promising. And look, that's not bad. I, I, I'm not saying this to be a Debbie Downer or, a, 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 or whatever, but I'm certainly pointing out that let's temper our expectations a little bit. And I think those weaknesses were revealed fully in week three in that loss against the Packers. Yes, the Niners are good to go up against any top-tier team that's that's in contention to win it all, but they're also not going to be a heavy favorite to beat any of those top-tier teams. So one of the things that I'm going to point out, and this is going to be a real, real provocative test, going into week four, home contest, Seattle Seahawks. Now... Like I mentioned earlier, there are plenty of teams around the league that would happily trade places with the Niners start right now. And I would love for every Seahawks fan to, to hear this. I would bet one of those teams would be the Seahawks that would happily trade places with the 49ers. Uh, Two-game losing streak. Of course, they lost to the Titans after being up big in, in week two and then losing in overtime. 
But then scuffling on the road against the Vikings, who were also scuffling to start the year. Boy, Vikings are really an interesting team this year, too. I don't, I don't know what to make of them. So this is still going to be a tough test. I don't think anybody is going to account for that. You have to go back to 2018, the last time the 49ers beat the Seahawks at Levi Stadium. But I think the bigger split is this. Russell Wilson has never lost three games in a row. Uh, He's faced that prospect ten times in his career, and yet has never lost three games in a row. So, that's a challenge in of itself. And of course, Seahawks are going to be up for this game. They're going to be angry and pissed off after losing two straight. But... Again, you're looking at some of the weaknesses versus weaknesses, and or I should say weaknesses versus strengths and vice versa, where you're worried a little bit about those 49ers cornerbacks I talked about. How are they going to match up against Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf? The 49ers pass rush, which was pretty effective in, in the first two weeks, kind of a non-factor in week three. What's that going to mean for Russell Wilson trying to evade pressure and extending plays with his legs? Something that every 49ers fan knows all too well over the last few years. Absolutely painful how that has gone. Now, granted, it's not all doom and gloom, and I'm not out here to say, yep, 49ers have no chance at winning this. They're going to be terrible. Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, they're just going to be rolling over the 49ers left and right. Seahawks defense stinks. I mean, let's not kid ourselves right now. The Seahawks are terrible on defense. They've allowed uh, 1,300 yards plus. They're dead last in the NFL in terms of yards allowed over three weeks. They're giving up 5.8 yards per play, which is you know isn't very good either. The run defense isn't great. The pass defense isn't great. You know, it, it's been a real rough showing from. Seattle's defense so far this season. And, of course, you think about how the 49ers might be able to beat them. It's going to be a lot of the same ways that they wanted to beat Aaron Rodgers. Don't let the opposing quarterback on the field, right? That means getting your running game going. Don't turn the ball over. No boneheaded interceptions from Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, I can't fault him necessarily too much for throwing that pick when he was trying to target Jimmy or uh, uh, George Kittle deep. Although, that's not a throw Jimmy Garoppolo can regularly make, so I get it. But nevertheless, this is going to be one of those games where the details, again, matter. And this is where I'm highlighting all of those plays, going back from last Sunday night, where you thought, gosh, if that had been just a little different, if that had changed things up, gone one way or over the other, maybe we're talking about something else in week three. Let's hope we're not answering the same questions or facing the same realities when we focus back on week four, and look back at what happened between the 49ers and Seahawks. Because, again, those details are going to matter. You know, those defensive pass interference calls on third down, uh, not getting into a hole, you know, being down 17 to nothing late in the second quarter. And I know Russell, Russell Wilson's been more than adept at coming back in games. Again, 49ers fans know this all too well. But, of course, you'd rather be in a position where you're forcing Wilson to, to make those comebacks, to be more aggressive and, and, and what have you. But especially taking advantages of, of Seattle's weaknesses. Because you know they're going to be up for this game. You know, they're not going to want to fall behind in the standings with you know, one win and three losses. But that's where the 49ers have to seize the opportunity, too. And I know it's going to be one of those, those elements where you're looking forward and thinking, hey, this stretch run is going to be really important. 
So, of course, with the Seahawks coming to town, you can think that's going to be a big game. I don't care what the Seahawks' record is. I don't care about the defensive miscues Seattle's had this season. That's going to be a matchup to watch, and that could decide a lot about the 49ers' immediate future. Oh, yeah, and then, of course, Niners have to take to the road the following week and play the Arizona Cardinals, who are suddenly red hot, 3-0. and I don't know if that's going to be sustainable, but nevertheless, this is the stretch. These first you know, five games with two games that were fairly easy at the beginning, that's going to say a lot about what the 49ers do uh, throughout the rest of the year. So I know we didn't get to tout on a lot of things. I, I'm still at a loss for when Trey Lance gets more snaps on the field. Your opinion's probably the same as mine. Hey, I'd like to see more Trey Lance, but maybe not in a position where he has to be the guy right now. Maybe you disagree with that, maybe you don't. I don't really want to get bogged down in that discussion because that's certainly a, a conversation for another time, and I'd much rather stay focused on the immediate issues at hand and the weaknesses the 49ers are currently experiencing, namely at running back, namely at cornerback, and some of the disjointed efforts we've seen so far this season. So anyway, before we sign off, I just want to ask one quick favor of all of you, and I certainly would appreciate it, and everybody here at Niner Noise would too. If you like what you hear, either from myself or your other co-hosts of the Niner Noise podcast, Robert Morrison and Chris Wilson, do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Go ahead and give us a five-star review and, and, and leave us comments as well. We'll actually take a look at your comments and, and maybe even use those on an upcoming upcoming episode of the podcast and, and give you some shout-outs and some love. Uh, but it really does help the podcast grow. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. We enjoy being able to interact with every single one of you, and we certainly hope that you enjoy what you hear and, and, and hopefully take away a few things from it. So anyway, we would appreciate it if you leave us that review. Go ahead and hit subscribe. And as always, be sure to head over to NinerNoise.com. You can give us a follow on Twitter, at SFNinerNoise. And you can also follow me, too, on Twitter, at PeterPanacy. It's spelled out just how it sounds. And until next time, we look forward to uh, hopefully yet another win and no losing streak for the 49ers after last Sunday night as Red and Gold gear up to host their arch rivals, the Seattle Seahawks, this Sunday for Week 4. So, on behalf of Robert Morrison and Chris Wilson, I'm Peter Panacey, signing off for the Niner Noise Podcast, and let's hear that horn, Niners faithful. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.